Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About, about time, time for True Crime. Hey. Holla. How are you? Howdy, people. I am good. How are you? I'm doing lovely on this lovely Tuesday. Yeah. How are you doing? What's new? How's life? Um, You know, just living the dream. Just like working and sleeping and sleeping and working mm-hmm. and getting paid every once in a while. Every now and then. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I feel like it's... A- like we're in the rut of the winter into spring. I know. You know. I am just crossing my little fingies that the weather just warms up and we're just I know. But my birthday is coming up. It is. So that's exciting. It's very exciting. I'm super pumped. Um I don't know what I want to do for it. Honestly, I think I might just take the weekend to do nothing. Okay. Like I'm kind of pumped. But then I think I want to do something the next weekend. Okay, so the next weekend we'll do something fun? Okay. Absolutely. We should do a paint and wine night. Ooh, yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys. We did a paint and wine night with my roommate Emily one time and it was the funnest shit we've done in a long time. It was hysterical. <laughs> um and still talked about to this day. Like Absolutely. It was I think well over a year ago now, oh, but yeah. so funny. Um, and we were watching this like scary movie and um, it wasn't this scary movie. It was, in my opinion, what is the scariest movie? That's so funny to me. Ugh. And I was like, oh, I can handle it because the lights are on and people are around and we're painting mm-hmm. and we're drinking. Like, it's just like a we're talking and not watching it. And so I can right. get through this. <laughs> <laughs> See, I have such a hard time with scary movies because I'm like, OK, like it's going to jump scare me and I'm going to freak out because I'm I jump all the time, even when I'm not scared. Mm hmm. And then it's going to be over. Right. Um, I st- I don't really care about Sinister. I usually get really bad with psychological thrillers when I'm like, oh, my God, could somebody do that? How <laughs> is it the person next to me? Like when it's psych based, I'm freaked. But like a stupid, weird ghost or like a creepy doll. Nah. Oh, it got me. See, no, the, the gets, doll ones, it gets not people. so much because a doll will never be in my house. Fuck that. <laughs> um, for that reason. So I'm like, it can't get me. It can't come in. Um. But it's the like, the house. You didn't know it was the house. I'm like, God uh, damn it, the house. Yeah, <laughs> you can't even get away from your own four walls. Oh, what um, the hell? Emily's- Not what you pay for it. Damn. <laughs> like, are they paying rent too? Oh Shit. my gosh, I know you little freeloaders. Come on, ghosts. Damn. I really like Emily's rule of thumb, which is if it's puntable, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's a doll, you can punt that shit. All right, see you later. <laughs> Not in my house. I Bye. Love <laughs> I love that. Which I think is fair. Um, Newton is a demon, but you know what? Tiny. I would never hurt my cat, but I can move him if I need to. But if you needed to, punt a bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would punt never. A bitch. No, but I can, with my palm, hold him up and away from me so he can't do damage. Yeah, he's I can't do enough. that with like a 150 pound dog. Correct. But you can like just grab his little scruff and say, please don't do that. You're like, uh, no, sir. And he'll still try to bite you. But then you just give him a little kiss on his forehead and yeah. send him on his way. On my way, son. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we just made eye contact when uh, we did that. Um, but it's been good. And honestly, I think the best birthday gift I'm giving to myself is this series. Oh, my. So for those of you who clicked on it, you know... I am going to be talking about the Nexium cult for the next series that I'll be doing. Oh, my good God. <laughs> so I know not a thing. I love it. Like, I know the the name of it, mm-hmm. and I know that it's a cult. Mm-hmm. Or at least I think it is. Like, you said cult, right? Yep. Because it is. Okay. Yeah. So I know that much. 
and I know that it what wasn't too long ago or was it with the 90s? Oh, no, it was very recent. It started in 1998. I'm still getting news updates as recent as 2021, early 2022. Shit. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm super pumped on it. I think there's so much going on here. And honest to goodness, I have read fucking as much as I can and watched a ton, mm-hmm. like a lot. So let me walk you through this. I wasn't even sure I was going to cover this case. But I wanted to watch The Vow on HBO because it was the story of someone who got out of it. Um, oh. And they were like, I want to spread the word or anything. And that was before anything happened with this cult. It's on HBO? It's on HBO it's Max. It's called The Vow? The Vow. Okay. Because I'm freeloading off of your HBO account so yes. I can watch it? Yes, you are. You're not canceling that anytime soon, right? Um, No. But okay, if you want to chip in, you could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we literally have two profiles. It's Abby and Allie. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but... Um, seasons one and two seasons two or the second season has more to do with like the litigation and the court stuff that goes on. So that's pretty new. Okay. So is that, is there only season, there are only two seasons? Yes. Okay. There's also seduced a docu-series on stars that I watched all of. Ooh. There's also a Colts podcast. I don't know if you've heard, it's literally just called Colts, but they have a Nexium one. And I also listened to a CBC podcast called Escaping Nexium. Ooh. So, like, I, I put in hours mm-hmm. because it's just fascinating to you me. You put in the work, bitch. And then we asked for requests, and someone was like, Colts. And then someone was like, Nexium. And I was like, <laughs> okay, got you. And people were like, oh, Colts, please. And we're like, shit, you guys really want Colts. <laughs> but yeah, so here's our first Colt case, I guess. It sounded, it sounded like, like Colt case. case. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, uh, I was going to tell you about our first cult case. Cult case. Cult case, cult yes. Case. Um, but before I do that, mm. I wanted to talk to you about a cult definition. Okay. Because here's the thing. Honest to goodness, a lot of fucking things are cults. Um, Isn't it just like a baby horse? Is that <laughs> what we're talking about? <laughs> no. No, that's a, a cult. Yeah, a cult. C-O-L-T. Cult. No, I'm I know. U-L-T. No, I know. <laughs> But you say them the same. Come on. Who's who's See different? you last Tuesday, you know? <gasps> <laughs> cult. <Yeah. laughs> um. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. You know, every time we end an episode, I'm like, see you next Tuesday. But like, nope, we can't yeah. say that. <laughs> no, we'll, exactly. That we'll goes not. through my head, too. I'm like, I'm not calling you one. Please. I love you guys so much. <laughs> I will not say that to you. But a cult is a lot of different things. So I'm going to start with the most frequently used definition. And we'll go down because they're all pretty similar. Okay. But from dictionary.com, a cult is a particular system of religious worship, especially with reference to its rites and ceremonies. The second one, which is more of what we look at in the true crime sense, I think, is an instance of great veneration of a person, ideal, or thing, especially manifested by a body of admirers. Lastly, there's two that kind of get grouped together. One is the object of such devotion, and another is a group or sect bound together by a veneration of the same thing, person, ideal. So if we really look into it, and this is not anything to do with anything, but like there can be a vegetarian cult. There can be a cult of the freaking Satanism Church of New Orleans, like anything where there's a group of body that are venerated, infatuated, sort of idealize a person or thing. And there's a lot of them pulled together. 
that's a cult. Mm-hmm. So is Nexium a cult? Yeah. But is Nexium a criminal cult? We'll find out. Ooh. Okay. End of episode. See you next time. See you next time. Um, but we are going to get into it. So I hope you guys are having a great day. Because you're about to ruin it. Yeah, I'm about oh. to talk about some fucked up shit. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out this trigger warning for everybody in this whole thing. This will apply to every single episode that I do. Mm-hmm. But this is fucked up. There is rape. There is kidnapping. There are hostages. There are people who are fully branded. There are a billion different ways that this is trauma central. And what it all has to do with is one sadistic man. It sounds like working with Weinstein. Yeah. Literally. No, literally. I mean, keep going. It's insane. So, please... Please buckle up, keep your hands, feet, legs, and arms inside the podcast at all times. Mm. We will take questions at the end of each episode, but in the meantime, please just make sure you're safe. It's going to be a bumpy ride. You may not immediately recognize the name Keith Raniere, but I've already said the word Nexium, and I'm pretty sure some bells are probably ringing. Today, I want to do a deep dive on one of the most destructive, sadistic, and fucked up cult leaders I've heard of. Also, a cult expert of over 30 years says that this is the most fucked up cult case she's seen. Shit. That's, it's fucked. So Did she use the word fucked up? No. She was so polished and professional. Ugh, um, but gross. first and foremost, just to pull an alley, I wanted to list some of my sources. <gasps> and while naturally I get tons of supplemental information from other news sources, I told you about all of the documentaries I watched, the podcasts I listened to. I also pulled a lot from the Times Union and also obviously like New York Times, The New Yorker, all of that jazz. So plenty of news articles in there. They are all linked below. I'll be real. I think I can do it with numbers the way I normally do, but there are about 30 sources just for this episode. So we'll see. I might have to link like a public Google doc or something, but you'll have them. There's access. So I think it's important to understand who we're dealing with. So I kind of want to break up this series into Keith's early life and MLM experience. Then I'll go into Nexium. Then I'll go into DOS. And lastly, I'll go into Keith's downfall. Which I'm fucking pumped for. But we kind of got to get through this shit first. So um, I think it's probably going to be two or three parts. It might be four. I'll do my best, but no promises because there's a lot here. And I think you guys want to hear it all because it's interesting shit. It's depraved. And also, for all of those reasons, Keith Raniere has also joined my piece of shit club. So I will be trying to refer to piece of shit Keith Raniere as piece of shit Keith Raniere for the best of my abilities. Oh my god, like piece of shit Adam Strong. Yes. I Um, love this. It is a prefix now. It's not a good one. It means you're on the list and you do not want to be on the list. But this is a piece of shit Keith Raniere. I like it. So let's talk about piece of shit Keith Raniere before Nexium. Let's. Okay. I'm going to read you some quotes said by multiple people who were close to Keith Raniere throughout his life. Okay. These are all true. These are all things that actual people said about him. Keith Raniere understood quantum physics by the age of four. Keith Raniere killed my dog. Keith Raniere is the smartest and most ethical man alive. Keith Raniere is a psychopath. Keith, Keith Raniere stalked me. Keith Raniere is helping me change the world. Keith Raniere is my master. Keith Raniere turned down Juilliard scholarships. Wow. Yeah. 
What a variety. Uh-huh. That goes... Bumpy ride. Yeah. <laughs> that goes in a lot of directions. So who is piece of shit Keith Raniere? Who is he? Apple piece Dabbleson. of shit Keith was born on August 26th, 1960, making this fucker an August Virgo. And not for nothing... I don't know a lot about astrology, but I'm a September Virgo stand myself. Thank you. And now, again, not a Zodiac girly in that I just know these things, but I did happen to look them up. And when I saw the difference between August and September Virgos, I stand by my opinion. Because piece of shit Keith Raniere was an August Virgo. And you want to know what happens to them? He has the skills that I think are quite similar. So an August Virgo would be more outgoing than a September Virgo. They are said to have better leadership skills and confidence. And they are also better or more careful with money management and avid planners. Ouch. Well, fuck me. What do I have then? I'm a September Virgo. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than the September Virgos. No, I don't think it's better. I think it's a different set of skills. And I think piece of shit Keith Raniere Mm. got the luck of the draw with the little astrology life and was able to use those things to his advantage because I don't think otherwise he could have stood a chance. Okay. So, piece of shit Keith Raniere had a well-rounded sounding childhood. His father was an NYC executive marketing mongo and his mom was a ballroom dancer. And the family moved from Brooklyn to Suffern, New York. And while I didn't go in-depth... Obviously, I'm not moving there. The differences are notable in that Suffern had a much higher median income than Brooklyn, but Suffern also had a lot cheaper of a housing market and an older population, which those usually go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And in looking deeper, it seems like Suffern might have been the place that piece of shit Keith Raniere's parents thought was a good quote unquote to settle down spot. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing a little bit better. You move a little bit further out from the city so that you have some peace at home. And then you go to the chaos when you want to. Mm-hmm. People seem to be making good money there. It's older. I don't know. That to me just sounds like we have a kid. We'll settle down. Yeah. You, you know? want a yard for your kid to be able to play in. Right. So, however, not long after they got there, oh, piece no. of shit, Keith Ranieri's parents got a divorce. What? Which is like wah wah. He was eight. And unfortunately, half of all marriages end in divorce so it was gonna be him or someone else Mm -hmm. just statistically speaking and yet time goes on when pos keith is a young little uggo stud and at 12 he was pulling chicks left and right did you call him an uggo yeah oh my no it's not he's not no he's not cute no all right and listen we're gonna talk about some traits that could be cute if they were in anybody else's fucking body okay but not him He's a piece of shit. So literally his ex-girlfriend, Barbara Boucher, who we'll hear more about later, recalled that at like 12 or 13, Keith's dad had told her this. So he apparently had tons of girlfriends, essentially stating that Keith had like a lot of phone calls by age 12 of girls calling the house. And he would tell each of them, I love you. You're the special one. You're the only one for me. And I need you in my life at 12 to like a variety of little girls. What a little shit. Yeah. And it didn't stop at all. Apparently. So this little bastard was already on his bullshit by middle school, which is like middle school sucked for everybody. But for not real, for him, you're supposed <laughs> to grow out of it. He's drowning in it. I know. He said, ah, I love the <laughs> girls. Ah. Um, so Keith grew in other ways. Confidence and self-ego 
primarily. And Keith's dad allegedly told Barbara a few things throughout their relationship, one of which obviously was the story that we just heard. But another was that Keith was smart. He was a smart kid. Mm -hmm. But they had him tested for an IQ and they found out he was gifted. He had a high IQ and they told him that. They said, look, you're gifted. Like, this is important. You're smart. You can do stuff with this. Oh, they gave him a complex. Mm Mm-hmm. So he said it was, and this is a direct quote, like a switch overnight, he turned into like Jesus Christ, thinking that he was superior and better than everyone, like he was a deity. He said it was that dramatic and that profound. See, there's some people that even if they have it, they shouldn't be told that. Absolutely. Because they already think it on their own, that if you just like keep confirming it for them, they're going to like want you to lick their feet. Like, it's just like you should. Oh, he does. You're so far below me that. Yeah. Ugh. No, it's, it's worse than that. Um. But absolutely, he should not have been given that, like, you're the best in the world and nobody can do, like, you can't do wrong at all. Yeah, he didn't need his artwork on the fridge. No. Because it, that, yeah. No, because he was already painting in blood on the fridge. Correct. Yes. Um. So, Keith also recounts being exceptional in childhood, surprising a whopping nobody. And <laughs> piece of shit, Keith, later in life, says that one extremely influential book he read when he was 12 was Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov, which was the foundation to his later larger scheme of Nexium. We'll get there. Hold on. But this book was about mind control. And though it is identified as a sci-fi, so not like a quote-unquote how-to guide, um, Keith also said that it influenced exactly what he wanted to do and how. Piece of shit Keith Raniere also said that he could speak in full sentences by the age of one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. He said he could speak in full sentences by one, but that's not all. He could read by the age of two. And he understood quantum physics by the age of four. And you know what else? That's not all. He was a piano prodigy who turned down a Juilliard scholarship. And he was a Northeast Judo champion by 13. Okay. Are these things true? Uh, I would really doubt it oh and the other thing about 13 that's when he turned entirely enlightened he became enlightened at 13 and that's when all the girls were calling him i'm sure no they were calling him at 12 so oh wow stud before the enlightenment oh wow i bet all the blankets in his room cracked oh fuck i hope so no you don't hope so (laughs) no i hope so because i hope he had no other blankets to keep him warm oh if he's gonna be a dick to everybody he can like sit in it that's fine oh um, so piece of shit gets older and specialer and stupider and he goes to college after all he's a genius and Correct. a deity right so he graduates high school two days before he turns 18 but don't worry that's actually not special he just had a late birthday oh my god um, i fucking graduated months before yep because <laughs> i'm also are you kidding me and he journeys on to RPI, or Rensselaer Polytech Institute. And we'll come back to this phase of Keith's life. But for now, that's a comprehensive enough overview of this shit's childhood. So let's get on to Keith's early crimes. Okay. Okay. This fucker is the fucking worst. I wrote that down. That was a script sentence. I needed to say that. This fucker is the fucking worst. Now, do you really mean it, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, look at this. You know how much I hated piece of shit Adam Strong? This Mm -hmm. level. I hate this man. I am deeply fascinated him, and I do believe he is the epitome of a mediocre man confidence and self-perception. But he did awful, terrible, ugly, bad things, and he deserves to never see the light of day again. Ever. Like, I hope he doesn't even get a window in his fucking cell. I'm not kidding. Keith 
always had his eyes on the prize. And depending on what the prize was to Keith, that's what he would get. Which is kind of backwards, because when you think about the idea of a prize, usually it's multiple people competing for one set thing mm-hmm. that you win. Correct. But Keith just decided anything he wanted was the prize and that he'd take it. And let me put this in clear, plain words. Again, with the trigger warning, from here until pretty much the rest of the series, there's a lot of rape. And right now we're about to get into rape of minors. There's a lot of lies. There's literal physical torture and a lot of fucking power imbalance. And piece of shit, Keith Ranieri earned the fucking prefix piece of shit for a reason. It was fixed by his actions, and I have the smallest sliver of empathy for this man that I've ever had. For anyone. Like, literally, Adam Strong has more empathy for me than this fucker. Oh, jeez. And he is a piece of shit, and I wish I could put a trigger warning on his face. (laughs) Onwards. Let's skip to 1984. Okay. Keith is 24, and... He's the same. He's short and skinny and pale and has really like fine brown hair that falls like odd around his face. You know, there's a kind like the kind of hair that looks like it's going to get greasy after like 20 hours of not showering. Oh, I have it so I can say it. But it's that, you know, <laughs> um, and usually it's short and flippy. And later that turns to like long and speckled with grays and he'll keep it in like a low ponytail or some shit weird. Um but he also sits almost all the time. Like, I kind of joke that he always looks like he's a monkey lounging in the zoo. Like, he, you're saying, like, he doesn't walk around? No, like, he doesn't walk around, but he's, like, constantly lounged. It's not just, like, sitting. It's, like, oh. one arm over my head, a knee up, like, sitting and very... Like, casual. Yeah. He's very comfortable. Constant. Yeah. The other thing is that he kisses everybody on the mouth and it's gross. Oh, I like a that. hello? Yeah. And you get like a right on the lips. Oh, and I'm like, how many other people are you kissing when you kiss that man's lips? It's nasty. No, thank you. And it you. doesn't get better. No, thank you. No, you don't learn that he kisses less people. Ugh. Um, It's gross and so is he. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> it's gross and so is he, she says. <laughs> I like it. So Keith is 24 and he's living in New York. Uh, he's in apartments in Troy and he's still trying to figure out how to get his genius out there. You know, mm-hmm. he's no longer in college, but he's still hanging out by his alma mater. Um, he is workshopping some of his ideas and building his dumbass business ventures. And he decides to join a theater group and it's like a community theater group, but it happened at the theater that was at his alma mater. Okay. So he's around there. And also, just in case you were fucking wondering, he also loves yoga. And that makes me so mad because I love yoga and I don't want anything in common with him. Well, I hate it. Same with the hair. I don't want that in common either. But you know what? Here we are. And he loves the girls. It's true. (laughs) The best of us do. So (laughs) the RPI theater, again, his alma mater, is a community theater. And it's a wide age range of individuals that go. Because it's community. It's not just college or high school or whatever. Anybody's welcome. And this is where piece of shit Keith Raniere goes from assumed creep and ass to a real walking and talking monster. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Genas. The Genas? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Keith met a girl in this group. Her name was Gina A. Her last name is different, but there are two Genas, so I'll separate it by fake last initial. Okay. Okay. They are both minors, so... Hence, fake last initial. Okay, and he's what age at this time? 24. 24. Okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. they're at least 17 or under. Yeah, correct. Gotcha. 17 is the age of consent in New York, so they had to be 16 or younger. Ooh, okay. Um, Keith met a girl in these groups, Gina A. 
and Gina was in the theater. She is bright and perhaps bored with her life. I mean, she's 15 or 16. She didn't think school was helping her that much. And because she was so bright, she was bored a lot in school, which makes sense. I think that happens to a lot of people. And as she was growing, she was described as artistic and she wrote a ton of poems, but she also really wanted to find deeper meaning and join something bigger than herself. And she sounds so fucking delightful for like a 15 year old to be like that. Mm. Are you kidding? So it was no wonder that piece of shit Keith Raniere took interest because he's so smart. And the two went on little like accolades. They'd go to arcades together and Gina was excited. Call it a date. That's a date. Yeah, it's a date. Yeah. Um, And he's got like a decade on her. That's a date. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, that's a gross date. And he might have helped her under the guise that he could tutor her or get her to graduate high school early. But he described himself as a judo champion and a genius. So she trusted him. And because on these arcade dates, nothing really went wrong, it was hard for her to not trust him. This is a man who's saying he's well-intended. And I'm getting special interest. And maybe that's flattering for her. She's 15. Mm -hmm. And so... They'd play games like Pac-Man and other games like Vanguard, which put a little pin there because we'll be returning to Vanguard later. And Vanguard is this game in which taking people down boosts the player's life or abilities of some kind. So if you destroy an enemy, you become stronger. You don't just kill the enemy. Okay. So again, putting a little pin in that. Gina was just 15 when Keith took her virginity. She recounts it being in the dark and more painful than she expected. He left her with a blood splattered shirt and went on his way. And she was fucking 15. This absolute abhorrent asshat had the nerve to demand more sex. But get this. That wasn't enough. She also needed to lose weight. Oh. She was 15 and 135 fucking pounds. Are you kidding me? Nope. I would kill to be honest. And he's telling her to lose weight and also, oh yeah, don't tell your mom about the statutory rape. Let's also, like, real quick, if I may, if anyone says, hey, don't tell your mom about this, mm-hmm. tell your mom about that and oh, tell yeah. her about that right away. Not that kids should be listening to this at all. Yeah. But, like, if you've got kids, yeah. I'm sure you've told them this, but maybe it's good for, like, a little reminder. Yeah. Hey, uh, if someone says don't tell your mom, fucking tell someone. I don't care if it's your real mom or the teacher at school, but tell a trusted adult. It's not stranger danger. It's strange it's behavior danger. Strange behavior danger. Okay. So Gina recounts this in her own words. She has a YouTube video. I'll link it in the notes. And she says that they went back to his apartment or an apartment, I guess. And it was dark and he locked the door. She says she remembers very vividly that he locked a deadbolt or a deadlock on it. And she said she still remembers how painful it was. She said she was shocked and taken back by how painful it was because how could this thing that society and people glamorize hurt that much? So this was at his apartment? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she was in shock. And she literally told him how much it hurt. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And he goes, oh, it won't be that bad next time. Mm. So they waited, oh, I don't know, a conservative 20 to 30 minutes. And he raped her a second time. Oh. And while it continued for a while, Gina said that she thought the attraction piece might be okay to her 15-year-old brain. But 
even by then she knew that if she had to constantly lie about something it wasn't right Mm -hmm. if you can't tell your mom what you're doing every time you go to see this person it's not right and so they dated for a few months but gina a found the courage to one day say no she said i don't want to continue on in this relationship and keith had no problem with that this piece of shit because he found someone else oh no 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 he said um no it's totally fine if we don't want to be in a relationship but we should still have sex because he's a fucking pig now before gina a left keith or i suppose before keith left gina a alone gina introduced him to gina b ah geez yeah They were friends from high school, and so one Gina replaces the other. Gina B. was from Coho's high school, and she's described as having a working-class family. And I'll be honest, I was pretty, like, pissed when I read articles that said she was from a bad home. Um, I don't think you really get to judge that. So I'm assuming her family was just as, like, dysfunctional as anybody else's. I don't really see anything in there that was crazy, but I don't know her life, and I don't think anybody who wrote those articles do either, so... I'll just throw that out there. Okay. Gina B. tragically took her own life in 2002. Hmm. So I was unable to find her recounting of any of her victimizations. However, Gina B.'s sister, Heidi, is around to speak on what happened. And here's what she felt comfortable sharing. Around Christmas season and Gina B.'s birthday in 1984, Keith would have just been about 25 that August. Heidi discovered that Keith and Gina B. were having sex. Heidi had come home for Christmas break. She was in college and she caught him sneaking in or out of her sister's window. Ooh. His ass was in the window. So she was like, I don't know if he tried to like launch himself in or if he was launching out. But, you know, he's in the window and a devoutly Mormon family. Heidi was not okay with this. She's like, you're old. She's 15. We're Mormon. Everything about this is like a fucking no, Mm -hmm. you know? But don't worry, you guys. Piece of shit. Keith told her that. Don't worry. Our beloved Gina B. wasn't actually a 15 year old. She was a Buddhist goddess that was hundreds of years old, despite only having the body of a teen. So it's okay. Uh, If anything, she's probably statutory raping him because like a couple hundred years old versus 24. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, So statutory rape who? You're kidding, right? She's no. She's he a said, multiple. He hundred. said that to the sister. He not said, about the statutory rape thing. No, no, but, no. But he said, yeah, no, no. Like, he no, said, she's actually hundreds of year old, years yeah, old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Her body might be fifteen, but she is um, hundreds of years old. I've she's heard a Buddhist of wise goddess. beyond your years. Yeah, haven't that heard that ain't one. It. No. Yeah. Nope. Nope. So Heidi comments later on seeing this pattern with Keith. That he would call society moronic and slow and concerns were about everyone else but him. He would say society's norms on sex. My personal thought process was that he would say society's norms on sex and like probably meant age and consent. You know, because he would constantly be like, yeah, society's wrong and this is what it should be and that is what it could be. And by the way, in every single fucking documentary I saw, there was at least one snippet of piece of shit Keith Raniere saying something like we know love by how much we hurt for one another well that's not it which is not love anyway so did I miss something about his childhood no because I feel like no this doesn't add up no you didn't miss anything like it wasn't really it wasn't bad no no there was a divorce when he was eight 
I mean, and that's difficult for a kid, but a lot of kids don't do this. Correct. Most kids don't do this. And don't grow up to continue to do this. And if this is going to be a multi-parter, that's only going to get worse. Oh, it's going to get a lot worse. Oh, God. So. No, but no, you didn't miss anything. It. This is all him. Yeah. There is no part of this that is his parents. <laughs> oh, Even if they sat down and told him he was special. Like, none of this is theirs. This is just him being a depraved piece of shit. And so he also thought that school was dumb and that people should just apprentice with him and he could mentor them. So Gina actually, I believe, dropped out of high school to like apprentice with him. Oh. And in fact, if I remember correctly, I think she got her GED on her own while they were like talking and everything. So it's not like it really stopped her from achieving. Mm -hmm. But what the fuck? And Gina and Keith were on again and off again in their relationship for nearly a fucking decade. That's a long ass time. That is a long ass time. And Gina B was not okay with infidelity as many of us aren't. Mm -hmm. And even from age 12, Keith had multiple girls on the line. He was telling we're special and the only one. So naturally when Gina found out that was continuing, it didn't sit well with her. But Keith was a fucking nut, and while I don't believe he's a genius, he knows how to alter language and persuade people. So he'd tell women that this was to help their jealousy issues, to help them get over it and gain confidence. The issue isn't me cheating. It's that you're so insecure, I can't cheat, um, which fuck him. And so in one of Gina B's diaries, Gina B remembers that someone had asked her to write a paper on him. I think it was an article. I'm really not sure. Um, but... She did say explicitly in this diary entry that she decided not to say anything negative, but she wouldn't say anything at all because she wouldn't want to perjure herself if she ever needed to stand in court one day. Oh, God. That should be pretty fucking telling. Oh, jeez. Like, if you're like, I'm not going to say anything negative, but then I shouldn't talk because I don't want to be held accountable for this in court one day at like fucking whatever, 15. And so in 2002, just four years after writing that entry, she took her own life by shooting herself outside of a Buddhist temple. Oh, that's awful. And she wasn't Buddhist, but he had told her that she was this Buddhist goddess. Correct. Oh, God. And so Gina didn't leave a list or an explanation, but she was never without Keith for long from 15 until her death. And she was how old again? I'm sorry. Yeah, probably early 30s, I think. Okay. So I also just wanted to point out that the main article from Times Union was written in 2012. And we'll get there. I promise. Okay. But just keep in mind, this information was available 10 years ago. Nexium, Keith's last terror, wasn't closed until 2018. This information was out there. Oh, geez. So let's move on. Keith's multi-level marketing schemes. The beginning of the setup. Ooh. Ooh. So Keith wasn't a genius. He'd still have you believe that, though. Henny, make no mistake. Mm. But despite having little to no foundational background to prove it, Keith claimed to have an exceedingly high IQ. Now, I believe it changed a few times. If I remember correctly from the Colts podcast, eventually ending on like 140, he would tell people was his IQ. Oh, okay. And don't get me wrong. He did score incredibly high on his childhood IQ test. But that doesn't always correlate throughout your entire life. And also, the only other measure that we had of it was a new IQ test that actually ended up putting him in the Guinness World Book of Records in 1989 to be one of the smartest men in the world. 
Oh, shit. So he really was. No, um, because that IQ test still hasn't really been proven to be valid or reliable. And it was an open book test that you got to take home. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, okay. no. So, no. Um, but, I mean, hey, it is in the 1989 Guinness World Book of Records, if you want to look at it. Oh, jeez. So, piece of shit Keith Raniere was working as a salesman for Amway, which was, you guessed it, a multi-level marketing company. And while he was working a job he didn't love, he would gather his thoughts and ideas for his business empire one day. So, he took his smarts on business and multi-level marketing schemes, and he started work on his first big project. Consumer Byline was a multi-level marketing scheme geared towards a shopping platform in which people would purchase a membership and then get discounts on foods and goods. The hitch was they would all also get commission if they were the one to recruit a new person. So the discount seemed worth it, and by all means, the smartest man in the world was running it, so it was pretty bought into, and people really used it. But here's the thing. According to attorney Douglas Brooks, who represents plenty of multi-level marketing victims, the key to a quote-unquote successful MLM is the marketing. You promise everyone who buys into this that it is quote-unquote the thing TM that you need. And it encapsulates this human, but more specifically American greed, with the guise that we can have anything or everything we want. Consumers Byline promised the opportunity to have everything you ever wanted cheaper and to do it with the smartest man in the world. Of course. The other thing I want to point out here, and we'll see this throughout Keith's escapades, is that multi-level marketing schemes and pyramid schemes as a whole really only work so long as there is constant new recruitment. Because otherwise, you're just like you're not going to earn any commission off the people that are there and the people at the top are going to keep all that money and there's not going to be any actual revenue for the fucking company. So you have to have constant new people or it doesn't work. But Consumer Byline grew. It did. And at the height of it, there was over 250,000 employees over various states. And it was a $33 million company in in revenue alone. And that's a lot of zeros. According to Biography.com, multiple state attorneys took an eye to this. And it was red flagged as a pyramid scheme, which, of course, it was. And they earned commission on the people that they roped into it, like I just said. So it literally checks every single fucking box of a parent scheme. Oh, jeez. After the initial investigation in New York, Ranieri settled and was like, ugh, fine, sure, it's a pyramid scheme. Don't put me in jail. Here's a bunch of friggin' money, 40000 if we want to be exact. And no, I won't do any chain production anymore. I just won't. I promise. And in 1997, the company was shut down. Mm-hmm. So while that left a mere quarter of a million people freshly without a job, Keith was still doing well at the top of his pyramid and in his other multi-level marketing involvement with National Health Network that he participated in in the 1990s. But before we move on, you didn't think that he only hurt the employees at Consumer Byline by losing them their jobs, right? No, I didn't think so. No, of course not. Because he's earned the prefix piece of shit and nothing this man does should surprise you. A little plot twist here. It never surprised me, but it always makes me feel nauseous to think about somehow. (laughs) Sorry. We're going to talk about Rhiannon. Okay. So... If we knew that this piece of shit committed statutory rape when he was 24, you bet your ass he kept it up at 30. He was a genius after all. Rhiannon reported that her mother, who at the time was a single mother raising two daughters, viewed Keith as some sort of Einstein or genius equivalent. 
It makes sense then that when she was working at Consumer Byline, he offered to tutor Rhiannon and she jumped at it. She was like, the smartest man in the world wants to tutor my daughter. Fucking let's go. Like, I want her to have the best life she can have. Oh, God. And so none of this is the mother's fault. But I can't help but wonder, did she ask him what he was going to tutor her in? (laughs) Right. And she didn't know he wasn't a genius, but I do. And I know the assholery he pulled with the other children. And unfortunately, I'm right. And Keith started tutoring her at his home. And by the way, like I said with this polyamory, it's not for everyone, but it is for some people. Keith lived his life in such a way that every woman that he interacted with had to be monogamous to him, but he could be polyamorous to anybody he wanted. And so he had multiple girlfriends at any given time. And at this point in time, he was living with three women in his apartment. And one of his many girlfriends started to have Rhiannon walk their dog. And she was so excited because not only was the smartest man in the world tutoring her, but they liked her. They wanted Mm -hmm. her to walk their dog. They were giving her money and like business ventures. And her mom's a single mom. I'm sure she wanted to do well for herself and take care of her family the same way, Mm -hmm. you know? And it fucking sickens me. But she said instead of teaching her Latin and algebra like he fucking promised, he taught her how to hug like an adult. And instead of leaning into a hug up top, adults were supposed to hug pelvis to pelvis. Uh. So, like, instead of standing a few feet apart with your friends and leaning in like, oh, I love you, cheek to cheek. It's like, nope, come here. And so she's how old? Twelve. Oh. He's 30 fucking years old. And she's 12. He was an adult when she was born. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So... Rhiannon reports in a Times Union article that they said she was smart and let her spend every afternoon at their house. Not to mention she thought it was flattering at 12 to have someone more mature so show such an interest. Which when you're the kid, of course you're going to feel flattered. Because you're the kid. It, it's not okay. And what really gets me is she directly said, like in a quote in this article, I was young, inexperienced, overwhelmed, and out of my league. She was 12. Of course, she's young and inexperienced and out of her league. And that is exactly why piece of shit Keith Raniere preyed on every single fucking person he did. Because he only preyed on people who were young, didn't know better, were overwhelmed, and wanted to do better. And fell for his Yeah. And believed that they could trust him because he was said to be one of the smartest and most ethical people out there. And so he's doing all this shit. And I can only imagine what psychological fucking trauma it is to say, I feel violated because a 30-year-old fucked a 12-year-old. And she has to sit there and say, but he's the smartest man in the world. What am I missing? She's not missing shit. He's a piece of shit. And so we're going to move on to Tony Natalie. Quickly, I'm just going to, again, put a pin in piece of shit Keith's bullshit. We're going to talk about Tony Natale for a moment. She's another Keith Raniere victim. And we're going to talk about her because she is pertinent for his escalation in MLMs. And not necessarily of her own choice. So, unlike either Gina or Rhiannon, Keith met Tony when she was a full-grown woman. Woohoo! This may have been his first adult relationship. That disgusts me. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. So 
We're going to talk about Tony, though, because she recounts her life before piece of shit Keith Raniere entered it. She had been married. She was living in Rochester, New York, and her and her husband had just adopted this cute little baby boy. Mm. Adorable. And Tony had worked for Consumers Byline and heard the legends of Keith. Of course she did. Mm -hmm. Keith was the smartest man in the world and understood quantum physics by four, or so she was told. And now how they came to meet, I, I don't know. I don't know how they met. Maybe he was at a fucking meeting at the company or maybe she just knew him because of everything with Consumer Byline. I don't know. But when they did meet, Keith immediately took an interest in Tony. He helped her quit smoking and they would talk on the phone for hours about her marriage, her dreams, even work. And she was like, okay, yeah, we have this working relationship. Yeah, we're friends, but I'm married. Like the idea of a romantic relationship with Keith is pretty much out the window. So she wasn't worried. You know, mm-hmm. so Tony had come from a marriage not at its strongest. And I honestly think this is fair to say of anybody when babies are first introduced in a relationship. There is no sleep. There is new things to fight about. And there's someone that has to keep making money, if not both of them, and also full time take care of a fully dependent being. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to fucking fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just a clusterfuck of things to go through alone let alone with somebody else, let alone with somebody else, and exhausted. So Tony and her husband didn't have sex very much. And she started working with Keith, which meant it wasn't a difficult choice in her mind when Keith started paying attention to her. She confided in him. She even told him about her sexual trauma from when she was a child. And piece of shit, Keith Raniere took all of this, shame, insecurities, and all, and still told her she was special. Piece of shit, Keith Raniere asked Tony to move to Albany. She says, no, no, I can't do that. My life's in Rochester. Her family's there. Her husband's there. Her child is there. And eventually she's like, "Okay, hold on. My husband just lost his job. He's in some debt. And my God, I really need some money. Is there any way you can give me a loan? You have this huge marketing company. Please. Mm. And so Keith says, Okay, uh, we could work on getting you a loan, but you have to come out to Albany. He gets exactly what he fucking wants, which is Tony alone on a flight to Albany. And he puts her up in a hotel room. She's staying there. They go to talk to his friend about a loan. And when she finally got to Clifton Park, which is where they were at in Mm -hmm. and around Albany, Tony recounted his apartment being nasty. Like... The worst part of all of it was hearing about the quote-unquote congealed food that would sit in the dirty dishes, if that gives you any idea. And there were clothes piled everywhere, grime covered the apartment, and Tony noted how strange it was that the smartest man in the world didn't know how to use soap. Uh. (laughs) Which I thought was funny. Um, Keith also, again at this time, was living with three women. And she was like, okay, that's weird, but men and women can be friends. Like, my... Our relationship is proof that men and women can be friends. So that must be okay. And it's all these little things that people are justifying to themselves about him. So Keith and Tony go to see about this loan. Keith actually doesn't really try to give her one though. So they sit down and yeah, they have the meeting or whatever. But instead he says, hold on. Um, I want you to take on a new business with me and I want you to work for me. But... 
you have to permanently relocate to Clifton Park. So yeah, you can get your family out of debt, but you have to move here and you have to work for me. Okay, so they're going to stay in Rochester where they live. Mm -hmm. And she'll just work with him. And and move there. And send the money home. Yep, I guess. Until the debt's paid. Seemingly. Better than a loan. Oh, jeez. And so... I don't think it is. (laughs) She said, I don't think I could just leave the area, but I'll really consider it. She said, really, I'll consider it. But... I kind of want to go back to my hotel room. And Keith said, that's fine. I get it. You need to think about it. Um, And Keith walks her back. But this is where things get fuzzy. And that is never a good fucking thing to have to say. Mm. Piece of shit. Keith Ranieri locked her in her room in the hotel. And he kept her there for hours. Tony sort of implied maybe something hypnosis or mind control related here. But she said she didn't know if it was two hours or 13 what yeah that she was in this room all she remembered was keith's eyes during that time and he asked her incessantly about her sexual assault trauma as a child remember how it said she confided in him yeah he sat there and for hours like literally as long as she's in this room he makes her recount this story at nauseam he probably was getting off to that probably and she was four it was her uncle that assaulted her and she would recount it and recount it and say it from the beginning to end, whatever, everything. And somehow Keith always had more questions. There was always more for her to say about it. And she'd be like, what the fuck does this matter? I told you already. And he'd be like, just take it from the top. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So Tony fucking begged for a break. She's exhausted. Her family is in financial turmoil. She has to fucking like... I don't know, travel across the state to figure out if she can even get a fucking loan. And this guy has kept her up for 12 hours in a hotel room badgering her about what it was like to be raped as a four-year-old. That's not okay. Oh, that that upsets my stomach. But it doesn't stop there. So, Tony finally broke down after all of this. She's exhausted. And she's like, fine, I'll do whatever you want. And Keith was like, hey... He comes over and he's like, hey, hey, I can help you. And you know what? He's such a good person. He said, not only can I help you, I will help you. What a guy. I know. Such a giver. And he said, I can fix this, but you have to move to Clifton Park. God damn it. So she fucking relents. This guy's fucking relentless. I get it. But she says, fine, fine. And by the way, sleep deprivation is a real tactic for offenders. It is considered emotional abuse. She thought he was being so kind. And when we look at this in a sentence in a row chronologically, obviously this piece of shit was not being kind. Of course he not. created the problem to fix. And I'm not saying that he created her sexual assault trauma, but I'm saying he re-traumatized her by making her continuously tell the same fucking story for 13 hours straight. Jesus. In a hotel room while she's trying to figure out her family's fucking financial situation. Like she's already got enough going on. Can you leave her alone? With a newly adopted baby. Mm. Like there's a lot going on. And so Tony really did the damn thing. She would talk about how great everything was. And according to Tony's book, The Program, Keith confessed his love for her. As he does, right? Mm. she said she was so surprised she had been married so it came out of the blue but that she had no idea how the smartest man on earth could love her a high school dropout oh my god and once he kissed her she decided she was going to leave her husband Mm. 
So one of his female roommates helped her find a place to live in their neighborhood. And don't worry, she was not far away from Keith and his three concubines that lived with him. Um, and I, I do kind of resent saying that because I assume they are all just as much victims as every other woman in his fucking life. Yeah. But they also helped her find an apartment that was walkable. So Keith could literally walk through his backyard into her yard. And the first night she had her new place, they had sex. He literally wasted zero time. He said, oh, now that that rings out of the picture. Let me in. That's what was stopping him. I guess. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. But here's the problem. Tony's ex-husband and her had a suffering sex life due to a lack thereof. But Keith was insatiable. In fact, this was great for her at first. And he love bummed the fuck out of her. And I get that. Like words of affirmation, gifts, quality time. All of these things are meant to make somebody fall into that. Right. Mm-hmm. And they finally they're together. She's got this new boyfriend. The next day they go into consumer byline. It's right before it's closed down. Mm-hmm. And she kisses Keith in the car mm-hmm. and he pushes her away. What? Yeah. He, he get, he's like shoves her off of him. And he's like, we have to keep the secret. And she's like, why do we need to keep the secret? And he goes, well, um, because if people saw that, then they'd think you just slapped your way to the top because you're only a high school dropout. Oh, come on. Uh huh. And I, I hate him so much because she was like, what the fuck? You literally said that my lack of credentials didn't matter. Like you wanted me because of these skills that I have, not because of a paper or a lack thereof. And Keith was like, no, no, no. It's just what everybody's going to assume because naturally, like, why would the smartest man in the world want to be with a high school dropout? Oh, my God. I want to hit him. (laughs) And Keith fucking Ranieri does like to yank the rug out from under people. So I get that. But Keith liked to change the rules and things started to unravel. This is when consumer byline starts being investigated and gets sued. Tony needs income to pay her debts for her husband and for her living arrangement that is now separate. And Keith called the investigators names. He said they lied and even fucking sent out a weird ethical standards video to every single employee at Consumer Byline, which, if you remember, was the 250,000 employees. He recorded like five minutes of his ethical standards and then just sent that out to them. What? Like a fucking weirdo. No idea. So Tony is fed up. She says in her book that he became super paranoid and that he thought the phones were tapped. He thought he was being spied on. He'd come into her home any time of day and night and demand quote unquote physical comfort. And this is why I want to like, because if we remember, she went from no sex at all to Keith, who is insatiable. He is literally insatiable the tony's fed up she says what the fuck i can't be your secret and you can't come in here and have sex with me at any time day of the night like this is happening or it's not happening at all so like piss or get off the pot basically Mm -hmm. and he said okay let's move in and i hate this wording but he said i'll claim you publicly oh thanks yeah what a fucking beaut oh And then they made amends and she was concerned, but she thought Keith was great and CBL had been shut down and they already had an idea for the next one. Right. Before I move on to the next business venture, though, I want to talk about the last bit with Tony and Keith. Keith did zero chores, literally none. He also was basically nocturnal. He would stay up all night and sleep all day. And Keith also couldn't stop humping literally anything. 
at all. Oh my God, he's like a dog. Literally. So he demanded sex daily. And if she didn't want to, he would just rape her. In fact, there are times she recounts barricading herself in the fucking closet because he would just come and grab her. That's terrifying. Awful. And she's with her fucking son. Like, she moves her adopted son in with her. They try to be a family. And this man, who has said that he is so smart and that he's looking after her and that he cares for her, is chasing her down to the point that she has to barricade herself in a fucking closet in her own home. Uh, But don't worry. He's the smartest man in the world. I'm so uncomfortable. And Tony didn't know what to do. She didn't have anyone to talk to until she did. So don't worry. We're going to get a little bit of National Health Network, but we're going to leave it there. Because after National Health Network, you're going to see where this takes off. Okay? But let's talk about it just for a little bit. This piece of shit is not done yet. Not even fucking hardly. This is like scratching the surface. Remember, this is early crimes. He has not yet evolved into the monster that he is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. He is a piece of shit. Because he should already be locked up for life mm-hmm. in a windowless cell mm-hmm. with no mattress. Yes. And like rats that run over his toes. Yeah. Okay. No, I hope he's covered in rat shit. And congealed food, you slob. Yeah, I hope that's all he gets to eat is the dishes in his fucking sink. So. Oh, I like that. Like all of the other cockroaches in New York, he gets up and he dusts himself off and he goes to work. And so what if Consumer Byline didn't work? He's got something even better. National Health Network, baby. This is his new MLM, and he made it with Tony. He gave her a job there. And keep in mind, let's not really beat around the bush here. He took Tony's money to make it. Mm. Um, This is another thing that we'll see frequently. So he put the business in her name. Because what a gift. What a nice man. He's doing that for her. Um, but in case you missed it, when the business is in your name, it also means all of the debts related to the business get put in your name. So if oh, shit gets yeah. fucked, it's in your name. And I have a feeling. Now hear me out. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too ahead. I don't want to make assumptions that aren't real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just have this feeling. Mm-hmm. Gut feeling? Yeah. Yeah. That this company uh-huh. is going to take a nosedive and fail. I thought you said you didn't know anything about this case. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This poor woman. Mm -hmm. Victimization after victimization. So he gives Tony a job there at the place that's in her own name. What a fucking beaut. And they sold vitamins and health supplements as the usual MLM, actually. (laughs) So one day, Tony's working there. And who walks in but one Nancy Salzman? If you've learned anything about Nexium, that name will sound familiar to you. And it should. Um, Is she good? No. Aww. Well, kind of. And here's the fascinating thing about Nexium as a whole. All of this, all of the people that are in bed with him and this fucking random cult. Everybody that is not Keith Raniere is just as much a victim as they are a perpetrator if they're a perpetrator. Because what we see is Keith Raniere time and time and time and time and time and time again uses women to do all of his ventures. They will do criminal acts for him, usually not thinking that it's criminal, although there are a few cases in which it is abhorrently apparent that it is criminal. Mm. And they do all of these things under the guise that it's ethical and correct and for the right reasons. 
and these are the people and these are the ways in which I say like when you hear that phrase the road to hell is paved with good intentions Mm -hmm. these are the people that that talks about because they are victims they are also offenders but they are victims and they do all of these for good reasons but they do a lot of really bad things and Nancy Salzman is right there with him so Nancy walks in to National Health Network and Nancy's been constipated who among us isn't a little constipated at some times wait so this is a like a supplement store yep and she comes in she's like I haven't taken a shit in a week yeah she's like listen I am backed up baby what do you got um and she sits down at whose desk but Tony Natale and Tony says, back that thing up, little mama. I got just what you need. And she did. <laughs> she said, take a seat right here. Yeah. You will shit before you leave. <laughs> Literally. We're going to meet in the bathroom, though. Okay. <laughs> so Nancy. By the end of this conversation, you will have shit yeah. yourself. Oh, already. Wow. Oh, good and for there you. It is. There it is. Wow. This is a magic place. So. She thinks, hey, maybe they'll have something. I'll go into the National Health Network and Tony hooks her up. And while I hate to say it this way, I really do. This was Nancy's biggest mistake in her whole timeline. Okay. If she had just gone to CVS or Walgreens or some shit and picked up a fucking Miralax. But she was like, let's support small businesses. Yeah. Let's shop local. Yeah. If she had drank in Miralax, she probably would not be in prison right now. Oh, and that's where I'm going to leave this. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Oh, um, come on. So I'm just on a on a laxative. Yep. You asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Pun intended. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. A, it's funny. We don't get to talk about constipation at any other point in this. And everything else, like piece of shit Keith Raniere does is fucking the worst. So it's at least funny. Two, it's a good hook. If you know who Nancy Salzman is, it's also kind of funny because she presents as like this very put together like psychologist of a woman. Oh, she like stoic and like yeah. very smart. And yes. And she's warm, but she's not too much. Mm. Um, she's per- she's the perfect fucking face for something like this. But and she hasn't shit in a week. Exactly. She's constipated. And you know what? You can see it. You can see it in her face. Can she's you? Constipated. Like, I feel yeah. for her. I have a lot of empathy for her, but. She also is kind of a piece of shit, and you can really see where it's backed up into her personality. So, oh, um, is it, it's like coming out the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, All so the bullshit. just really quick, where we end episode one, mm-hmm. I am going to name a little victim list, and then I'm going to name some tactics. I'm going to try to do this in every episode. I like this. Okay, look at you. Victim list for episode one. We have Gina A. She was 15. We have Gina B. 15 into 16. And for the next 10 years on and off. Mm-hmm. 250,000 employees of Consumer Byline. That's a lot. Rhiannon, the 12-year-old. And mm-hmm. Tony Natale, the consistent rape victim. Mm. And partner of Keith Piece of Shit Ranieri. The tactics that we see used in this include sleep deprivation with Tony. And blackmail with Tony. With the whole high, just a high school dropout thing. Like people will think you're sleeping your way to the top. So he's holding this power imbalance. And also with the itty bitty kiddos that he keeps saying are so fucking great, Mm. which they are great, but stop, get away from them. They're not great for you. So episode one, what are you thinking? How do you feel so far? 
Um, I feel like I was quiet because my stomach hurt the whole time, but yeah. not because I'm constipated. Okay. It's Do you want um, me to send you the National Health Network? No. Um, I'm just... Everything he did is so bad. And normally, when we talk about people that are so evil like this, mm-hmm. I tend to find something in their childhood that's like yeah okay that was pivotal like this was and something bad and something where it's like you feel for the child you can empathize you wish that someone swooped in and helped them and got them away from whatever this horrible event was or these horrible people and that but he had such a charmed life yeah and And he was the one that people should have swept the kids away from and they didn't even know it no. And that just that turns my stomach because he's celebrated. Yes, he is celebrated and he is like recognized as such a force of good. Ugh. And I think that is the most troubling part of all of this for me. When I say I'm fascinated by him, I am fascinated because whatever this man did, like say whatever you want about his IQ, whether or not it was 140, which, by the way, is the max IQ that someone can have. So that's um, not it. <laughs> yeah, literally. Or if he just was really good at like reading people and using their insecurities against them, he knew how to say the right things. And he knew how to say them convincingly enough that people bought into it and were willing to dissociate with all of the negative red flags that they're seeing from him. Now, I know this this shouldn't matter, but I mean, it really, it really does. Is he attractive? No. Let me look him up. Because sometimes people just... In fact, I think it's because he's not very attractive that he got away with a lot of it. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, he's not ugly. He's not, like, right, but if, but if difficult he were, to look at. If he were striking, and it's, like, this striking human specimen that's mm-hmm. this godlike person who is the most intelligent, smartest intellectual that I'll ever meet in my life, and he's looking at me, you'd think that there's something, like, str- I don't know, I just, I feel like someone like him has to look striking oh no he doesn't no he's not there's nothing profound about this man and that is why i think that he got away with it because he was not profoundly ugly he looks like he could be bill gates cousin yeah yeah he's like a little bit nerdy like they share a grandparent but it's Mm -hmm. not like they're not siblings you know what i'm saying like they're not siblings there's some distance in that relation but But like they could not legally get married like the gene pool would be too close correct like it's it's like first cousin status yeah now if you want someone who is very striking and beautiful you can Mm. look up mark elliott okay are we gonna talk about we will yeah we'll talk about him and oh i thought you were just like naming an actor or something it's like i will but who is this (laughs) (laughs) no um he'll be in part three or four Maybe part two, but I doubt it. I'm guessing you're not talking about the 81-year-old Mark Elliott that no. did Disney movie trailers? No, I'd look up Mark Elliott Nexium. Okay. Yeah. All right. I forgot that. Uh, he has the most beautiful jawline I've ever seen. Oh, he's cute. And it makes me really sad because he's still an active Nexium member as of 2023. Have you ever seen Dr. Mike? Yeah. Okay. He kind of looks like Dr. Mike, but he's got a different nose. Yeah. I mean, I have a type, I know, but like, he is pretty. Oh. But he's so dumb. Sorry, buddy. Well, can't win them all. No. (laughs) (laughs) And the only reason I say that is actually he's probably quite intelligent, but he is still a Nexium. So, you know. So is he? Book smarts versus street smarts. I don't know. Oh, no. Um, But here's the thing. 
Keith Raniere is a piece of shit. I'm so excited to talk to you so much about him. Um, here's what I'd like from you. Mm-hmm. Tell me if there's anything specific you want to hear about Keith Raniere. Do you care about his childhood trauma? Do you care about how he killed someone's dog? Or do you care about the sex cult that he branded woman in? Um, or, you know, I mean, I'm going to tell you the whole cohesive story. Wait, did he kill someone's dog? It's alleged. Did we talk about this in this episode? No. I appreciate that. Yeah. That you didn't tell me. Yeah. But now you told me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he is not the dog. A depraved piece of shit. Oh, I like, he's I a good boy. I know he is a good boy. <laughs> um, And here's what I want you to know as I'm walking away from this. A few things. One, if someone is telling the truth, there will always be another party to back it up. And what I mean here is not like... Hey, if you're in a court case and someone is conveniently alone at home during the time of the crime when they said they were going to be at the place of the crime, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if someone is saying he's the smartest man alive, there will be a valid and reliable instrument that is like ready to tell you so. Mm-hmm. And sure, he scored really high on an IQ test that he got to take home. But what happens when you send him to a neuropsychologist? Mm-hmm. I got my neuropsych this year and not for nothing. I do have an IQ in the top 92% of people. That's terrifying to me. That is nothing to brag about. I cannot believe that there are only 8% of people that have a higher IQ. That's scary. I don't like it. I'm dumb. So I don't get it. But (laughs) You absolutely are not. Do not say that. I don't like this negative self-talk. Well, it's not necessarily negative self-talk about me. It's just sort of about the existential crisis happening about the IQ thing. So I think if you have an IQ, it's not that's like high it's not a great thing it's not something you want to go be like guess what everybody like i have the highest but it also IQ. doesn't mean you should try to like jump from a 10-story building and be like i should be able to fly because look how smart i am. like correct and it also doesn't mean you're above the fucking law like it is literally one measure on a standard test that anybody can take to give you an average of what you know in relation to other people that's it And so an IQ test that someone might score a 46 on out of 48 questions or 140 out of 140 on, like make that replicable because any good instrument that will be used for testing stuff like that is replicable. It's valid. It's reliable. You're going to get the same results for the same input. And if we're putting this stupid ass man through this shit and we actually had good professionals there, that would be a little easier to tell the farce. That's not to say it would have entirely done it because Keith Raniere is so good with excuses. But we also will see this. And maybe this is me and maybe this is just the way I grew up. But I think that if anybody tells you that they have the secret to living the best life and that they know the thing and that they are the master of your destiny because they know how you should behave, take that with a grain of salt. That doesn't mean you can't believe anybody who says that. It doesn't mean that you can't subscribe to beliefs with other people about how you should live. But what it does mean is that you should look at other people telling you to do things very critically. Because as we'll see in part two, Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman, all of these names, all of these women that are so much victims in their own right, they deserve justice too. But they offended. They did crimes. They did bad things for this man Mm -hmm. under the guise of being better of self-betterment of being the best version of themselves they can be and building a better community they did awful terrible things and i don't think 
that that's fair for them. But I also think that if we have the ability to learn from it, the only thing I can say is just be critical of what you're allowing other people to have you do. Mm -hmm. You get to decide that, not them. So next time we're going to talk about Nancy Selzman. We're going to talk about Barbara Boucher. Does she finally poop? Nancy Saltzman, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, Tony hooked her up real good. She okay. backed that thing up and dumped that truck, you know? Ooh. So. <laughs> was she built like a Pixar mom? Oh, yeah, she kind of is. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about Nancy Saltzman. We'll talk about Barbara Boucher. We'll talk about the Bronfman sisters. Okay. And we're going to talk about the start of Nexium. Also stay tuned for DOS, the downfall of Keith Raniere, and the legal suits that followed. Ooh! yay so happy part one um thanks for sticking in there with me again for another really bad series this is it's gonna... really good but it's really bad yeah you know what we mean right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um another hard series this is going to be hard like it's a good story and you're telling it bad no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no like this is super fun but you're fucking this up <laughs> but it would be better if you didn't <laughs> keith <laughs> Come tell your story of your depraved asshole, Lori, please. No, but really, I, that was very well spoken. Like, that was that was like reading a book, and I'm really mad at you <laughs> because I don't want to wait for the next chapter. Sorry. You asshole. Um, if it helps you guys, next time it is going to be a little bit longer. Um, yes. But also stay tuned for if there's any bonus content because like i said i want to keep it to a short three or four part a short three or four parts um <laughs> that's funny but that's an oxymoron exactly <laughs> but because of that that means i might have to sneak some things in an extra content somehow so just keep an ear out keep an eye out but i'm so excited to talk to you guys about more of this asshat because if this didn't convince you enough that he deserves a piece of shit title the next one definitely will oh he's already earned it Oh, yeah. He earned no. it with Gina A. Yeah. <laughs> and we are, you know, a handful of victims after that and repeated victimization. So. Um, we'll see you next time. Uh, for now, just, you know, stay happy that Keith Raniere is currently incarcerated. Absolutely. And if you want to see photos of the people that we're talking about, the places we're talking about, the things we're talking about, you guys should definitely check out our Instagram page. Abby, where would they find our Instagram page? So if they go to Instagram or Instagram.am, you could Instagram. go into the little <laughs> oh my God. search button and you would search up about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. And if you wanted to send us something too long for Instagram, you could go to our email instead of our DMs and you could send us case requests. You could talk about cases that you're interested in, weird fucked up true crime that you want to know about. Show us your pod pets. Give us their names. Tell them if tell me if you call them schnookums or baby woogie boogie boy. I don't know. Newton goes by baby bitch boy. But <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us any of those things over email. Allie, where would they email us? So you could email us at about time, the number four, tc at gmail.com. So that is A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, tc at gmail.com. And we would love to see you over there. We, we respond to all of them. Absolutely. We appreciate so much that we get to just spend this part of the week with you. We hope you're having a lovely morning, midday, evening. Are you up all night? Should you be asleep? Is it time for you to get ready for work? I, I don't know. Listen, uh you know set the alarm clock 
don't think about keith ranieri too late into the night yeah also are you like cleaning your house are you like yeah. you doing what we do are you getting ready put on makeup how's that eyeliner looking babe oh my god my wings like i said before they hate each other sisters they're not, not twins no they're not even sisters they're divorcing <laughs> they're like i couldn't want to be further there's a temporary away. protective order between them. i couldn't yeah i couldn't <laughs> want to be further from you if i tr- yeah, yeah it's just yeah i can't be within 500 feet of you correct i'm going to the side of the face you go to yours yeah no seriously but like i'm gonna lean hard. all right well you guys we gotta go fix these fucking eyeliners so <laughs> all right if i look at my clock that was about, about time, time for true crime, crime. bye bye seriously do you think-